guys asked me to come and get you. I'm not leaving them. They're not going to let you stay. Why not? Don't you have to go back to the hospital? I'm not going back. I've done since I've been here. Besides, nobody listens to anybody anyway, even if they aren't crazy. You go tell Wise I'm staying with my friend. Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I'm still under the weather. I'm medicated now. Thank you, Mucinex. Last night I watched a film that tripped me out. So much so that you know how you watch a film and you it becomes part of your dream. Because I think I flew in the dream and then Rosie O'Donnell was there, my friend and I, and we were like, what? Huh. So last night I watched Birdie. <laughs> TCM was doing of the director Alan Parker Alan Parker I mean Midnight Express The Wall Birdie Evita <laughs> Didn't he do Mississippi? Yeah he did Mississippi Burning Alan Parker did a, a wide variety of films He died in 2020 um, His birthday would have been this week um, So I can so they were playing Birdie, and I'd never, I'd heard of Birdie, but I'd never seen it. And yeah, there's Vietnam in it, but it's not necessarily about Vietnam. It's about these two characters. One of them is obsessed with birds and with flight, Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage. So much so that the method actor in Nicolas Cage had his two of his front teeth removed so that because he wanted to look how the character had looked if he'd been hit by a bomb and his face all messed up. Yeah. And then Matthew Modine got naked <laughs> and went into uh, a pen with some canaries and boom. I mean, it was it was interesting. It was strange. It was, I mean, what can I what can I say about a film such as this? <laughs> and those are always kind of the films that that stay with you. I mean, so much so that if you're going to dream about it, all right. Huh. And, and and that's the other thing. It, it was not a commercial... It was considered a commercial disappointment, but, you know, I think it's developed a cult following over the years. Directed by Alan Parker. Based on Birdie by William Wharton. Released in 1984. It's a 1960s working-class neighborhood in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A teenage boy nicknamed Birdie befriends his next-door neighbor, Al... Compilato and relates him as, 
and his fascination with birds and their ability to fly, the two began pursuing Bertie's hobby of catching pigeons and caging them in a large wooden aviary that he has built outside his parents' home. One night, they climb atop a refinery building where Bertie hangs on the ledge to catch the pigeons roasting on, the, roosting on them. Bertie loses his grip and falls several stories, but lands on a pile of sand. Slightly dazed, he tells Al that during the fall, he flew. After Bertie is hospitalized for minor injuries, his parents dismantle the Avery. Yeah, so there's, <laughs> I mean, some people are like, oh, that was a, talk about hallucination right there. You know, and I don't just want to talk about Bertie, though. I want to talk about Alan Parker as a, as a director. I mean, have you ever seen Midnight Express? I've seen it. <laughs> Woohoo! That is some crazy ass shit. Okay? It is crazy. It is. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit for you. The music was done by Giorgio Moroder, who was part of the disco era. Midnight Express has Brad Davis, Randy Quaid, John Hurt, Paul L. Smith, Irene M- Miracle. Released in 1978. Oh shit. Shit, shit, shit. That's when they would do the trailers. Remember that? When the trailer was kind of just the teaser. It didn't give the synopsis. The films of Alan Parker. um, He did The Wall. Uh, Originally, I think Roger Waters wanted to direct The Wall himself. Uh, Alan Parker also did Fame. The movie, not the TV show. (laughs) Uh, this is, here's Alan Parker. The inspiration came from the music, obviously first the music, and then secondly from Je- Gerald Scuff's uh, artworks. He would do these mammoth great drawings, from which one drawing, then I would do an entire scene. But it was, you know, I was inspired by his drawings, really. Firstly, it's Roger Waters' story, you know, not just the music, but, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with him, with, with Gerald Scuff trying to extract from him what, what exactly this story he wanted to tell. You know, Roger's very, very political himself. 
So a lot of that, I think, comes from Roger's original, you know, you can't get away from the music. The music is the beginnings of everything in that film. And, uh, and I think that all of us try to um, put in whatever politics that we wanted, really, which was reflecting the times, you know. There was riots between the police and skinheads, and, which was very prevalent in England, in London at that time, and so we put that into the film. Um, the whole nationalism that then, you know, the interesting thing was that uh, the Falklands War uh, happened. As we'd finished the film, we were editing it. A lot of the things that are in the film were about that, and yet it happened after we'd finished the film. It was amazing that we, we, we were sort of predicting what might happen, you know. And that's uh, P- uh, Alan Parker talking about the wall you know, and Pink Floyd and, and the music and because, you know, that was the, I think that was, they never made a film of Dark Side of the Moon, but with the wall because of the symbolism of the wall. And Alan Parker was really good at that. And if I can, okay. This is, this is just a basically a run through of Alan Parker's digital obit done in 2020. Down here they say rattlesnakes don't commit suicide. They say there's just enough religion in the world to make men hate one another, but not enough to make them love. Oh, is that what they say? When you're uh, halfway through your first film, you're certain that it's surely going to be your last. And then you kind of blink. And I love when they do that, when they do kind of a, because the films themselves, from Midnight Express to Bugsy, yeah, he did Bugsy, where here, (laughs) Jodie Foster's playing like a young gun mall, and and they've got these kids, (laughs) Angel Heart, Robert De Niro, um, Lisa Bonet, that was, I think, probably around the time she, you know, left the Cosby show went over to a different world Alan Parker you know yeah he had done the wall he had done fame and then well he does you know the film Evita Madonna as Eva Peron and yeah, it was uh it was interesting. It was interesting. You know, it was it was a musical. It was a musical. Madonna isn't necessarily acting. <laughs> and and no disrespect to her. Um, you know, or, the person who originated the role of Evita on Broadway was um My mind has gone blank. See what happens when you're medicated. I I have major congestion, and so um, that's what's happening. It's 
know, some, you know, like I went to go get the medicine and I went to the wrong store. So don't worry. <laughs> so based on Andrew Lloyd Webber, Vita, you know, New Argentina. Yeah, Che Guevara and Eva Perone didn't know each other, but on Broadway they did. Mandy Pate can play Che. And let's see. Patty Lapone, now I remember. I didn't have to look it up. Patty Lapone originated the role of Eva Perone on Broadway. Iconic. So of course when you're not gonna get cast in the film and Madonna cast in it and yeah he also did Mississippi Burning you know Gene Hackman um, Wilhelm Defoe I think Francis McDormand is in that too it's a it's a powerful film and let's see I'm looking for, you know, the, some of these interviews, it's, it's interesting. You go back, oh, I didn't know he turned down Harry Potter. I would too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You should always be ready to improvise. In, uh, if you improvise and it's better, then you have to be very quick to to. To, to see that it's better. Sometimes you can improve. There's a phrase which is improved to death, which you can improvise so much that you you end up with something that's not as good as you originally wrote or originally imagined. When I remember when I did uh, Angel Heart, I had De Niro and Mickey Rourke. The two of them would improvise, go all over the place, and I, I was forever dragging them back to the words that I'd written in order to... Uh, because what I'd written was better than they were improvising. There were other times when they improvised so much better than I'd have written, you know. In the end, you know, as a writer, you have to protect your words. And, you know, you say, well, I actually, I have already improvised. I improvised when I wrote it. And then the actors can sometimes make it better, but equally they can make it worse. So you have to be ready to know which is which.
So those are just some of the films, including Evita. Oh, Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. And I have to give the copyright to another brick in the wall. It wasn't performed by Pink Floyd, but it was a cover. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, well, we'll talk about Birdie, but I thought, no, because Alan Parker was much more than that. He was born, sir, well, Alan William Parker in... Isleton, London, England, on February 14th, 1944, and he died July 31st, 2020. He was a, uh, yeah, genre, working in different genres. Uh, he directed musicals, he, uh, Bugsy Malone in 1976, Fame in 1980, The Wall in 1982, 40 years ago, The Commitments in 1991, Evita in 1996. True story dramas including Midnight Express 1978, Mississippi Burning 1988, Come See the Paradise 1990, Angela's Ashes, yes, like the book, 1999, family dramas including Shoot the Moon 1982, and hor uh, horrors and thrillers including Angel Heart 1987, and The Life of David Gale 2003, yeah legendary director I think his last film was The Life of David Gale and um, yeah Woo. I think The Wall though you know The Wall I, I, what, I'm working with Jason Almy we're gonna do If Shit Happens When You Party Naked we're gonna work on a show together about music and, and its relationship to film and right there I think of Alan Parker because you think okay fame Evita and of course the wall and the wall is celebrating 40 years this year 1982 and how those songs translated on the screen and then you've got the characters themselves the imagery, you know, Alan Parker's films, they're tough. They're tough. They are not for the faint of heart. And that always struck me the first time I watched The Wall. And it opens with Thin Ice. If you've ever heard that song, okay? And and then you see the character, his name is Pink. 
and he is in this the swimming pool and then you hear that song and then it crescendos you hear the guitars and then you see these war images and it looks like he's covered in blood in the swimming pool and it is just whoa and that is that is, if we had to define Alan Parker's films and the imagery and it's one giant music video that's what it is the same with Evita you know say what you will about Madonna my late professor who would have been 90 this week she loved Evita she loved that film because she said you know Eva Peron died in the 1950s and that was her era and they remember when it happened um and also, you know, with Evita, yes, Madonna was pregnant at the time. That made big headlines. But the fact that she was singing in the film, okay? She wasn't, this wasn't her usual pop star sound. Madonna actually got a vocal coach and is singing these songs. And, you know, the orchestration and everything, it, it was impressive. Uh, not just for Madonna fans, but for someone like my professor and many others who liked musicals who didn't necessarily listen to Madonna they were impressed dance skills and, and then Antonio Banderas and yeah now back to the wall Bob Gildoff now we all know Bob Gildoff who started you know Live Aid okay and that you know that uh, that Christmas song from England do they know it's Christmas okay Bob Gildoff was in The Wall. It is such an intense film. And the imagery and uh, the alienation. If you if if you if you are familiar with the sound of Pink Floyd, please don't roll your eyes because I know how much Pink Floyd means. At, oh my goodness. I want to give a shout out to George Trombolopoulos, who I consider a friend. I've had on this show. I've been on his Apple show. He loves Pink Floyd. And he is a prolific pianist. And he and he'll do these live Instagrams. And one time he he well not one time, a bunch of times. One time I asked him to play a Pink Floyd song and he did. And it was so beautiful. So it doesn't matter if you can sing those lyrics, if you can play that music, that music is timeless. There is something about Pink Floyd's sound. It started off as a blues band, you know, they started off with that song, uh, Arnold Lane, which was supposedly about cross-dressing, and the BBC were supposedly gonna ban it, and then how the band went through these different leadership changes. They went, you know, first it was Sid Barrett in the 1960s and then Rod, um, Roger Waters in the 1970s and then in the late 1980s, 1990s toward the end of Pink Floyd, it was uh, David Gilmore. So Pink Floyd, that sound and the wall really personified, I, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Dark Side of the Moon really is the moment that the rocket ship took off for them sonically and they were doing essentially it was a jazz album and 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 even the lyrics you know it's about alienation us and them breathe and time and but with the wall and and it's not lost on me that the the, the biggest hit of Pink Floyd 
in fact, their only chart-topping single was Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. Came out the year I was born. You know, everyone knows that song. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. The dark sarcasms in the classroom. Teachers leave those kids alone. The lyrics. Think of, think of, think of the imagery that they're painting sonically. And then comfortably numb. Comfortably numb in the wall. Alan Parker. Oh, my God. It is this interesting almost hallucinogenic psychedelic moment where he the character is Odin and it looks like and he's and he's going back to these passages when he had like a fever hello it's in the lyrics and and it's him running around with a rat and then seeing all of these dead people coming up and kissing him and then the guitar solos I mean that is Alan Parker right there it is on the edge it is in your face and Midnight Express, mid well, the first time I saw Midnight Express, damn, 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 damn. An Alan Parker film, really, it can be unsafe territory. And those are the best films. There's, there's a scene in Midnight Express where the character's wife comes to see him and literally rubs her breasts against the glass because he is just dying for human community human human communication right there um, it, it's it's an intense film it is it is not a film for the faint of heart okay and there's and there's a lot that go you know like I said, Alan Parker took it there. He took it there. And we're going to take it there in this clip. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now that's the custom scene and it is intense. And you can hear his heart thumping and the music and everything. Midnight Express is really dangerous territory cinematically and story-wise. And so we're going to go over to Birdie. Birdie, even Birdie. Birdie, there's nothing safe about Birdie. You think, oh, okay, it's about flying. And that's what Alan Parker did really brilliantly. And, uh, films are just I I can see why some people like even the life of David Gale if you've ever seen the life of David Gale there is nothing safe about that film and those are the films really that stay with you But Matthew Modine and, and Nicolas Cage and Birdie, I mean, what a what a wild ride. And it's not Toad's wild ride. It is a wild ride. And, oh no, that's, <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking for a clip and uh, Pink Floyd comes on. We just talked about, we just talked about the wall. Um. I'm sure I can get through them. I just have to have some more time. You think I don't know what you're doing with all this squatting and sideways staring stuff?
that's the clip I wanted to play and you know the music is done by Peter Gabriel so what's interesting is is that Alan Parker really when it came to how he wanted the, the film to sound it, w- it was intense whether it was the music of Pink Floyd or the music of Gior- Gior- uh, Giorgio Moroder in uh, Midnight Express Or Peter Gabriel in Birdie. And that's, uh, that's uh, Alan Parker. Although, uh, we did play a few clips, you know, from like Mississippi Burning and um, Vita. <laughs> Alan Parker received, I think it's a BAFTA fellowship. So the BAFTAs are the British equivalent of the Academy Award. All countries have them. And here is Sir Alan Parker's 2013 speech. bloodshed, uh, which was quite considerable. It meant that I was before the headmaster, and the headmaster said, why, Parker, why, why? And if I'd have known then that I was going to get this, I could have really shut him up. Sir Alan Parker, congratulations. I mean, when you, you were directing Leonard Roster, Joan Collins, in those fantastic, famous Cinzano adverts all that time ago, yeah. could you possibly have imagined that one day you would keep the company of, the, of your heroes, David Bean, uh, Powell and Pressburger in the BAFTA Fellowship. Never, ever. I mean, you never think like that. I mean, I was just... I used to pinch myself just to be so lucky to say action and cut, you know, <laughs> and say one more time, darling, and whatever you had to do. You suddenly you're a film director, you know. But, uh, no, the, I, you know, I started it with 30 seconds, and then it got to, like, a minute, and then three minutes, and then they got longer and longer. But then too long, some people think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you said... I mean, obviously, accepting an award like this, it must sort of such an incredible career was is there one particular film where that you 
sort of felt it was a turning point for you um, as a director in your career, one of your films? I think it? that, uh, I mean, you, you put some effort into all of them, is the truth, you know. I think that, uh, you know, the very first film I did, Bugsy Malone, was such a ludicrous film. And it's only kind of film you only do at the beginning of the career because it's really too difficult to do. You know, now you'd say, no, don't do it, it's too hard. And that when you, because of doing something so daft as that, it's kind of, it's still around. It's still, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know, because it's such a loony idea, maybe. There was a really lovely moment, actually, at um, the nomination party last time where we saw Dexter Fletcher uh, talking oh, yeah. to you, because, of course, it was his first film he role, I think. Nine he was, yeah. Yeah, nine, and now he's, he's up for just a, yeah. directed his first Fabulous, film. yeah. Wonderful. Really good film, too, yeah. He's a really talented boy. He is, he's an incredible boy. Um, I mean, how much do you think you've seen the British film industry change over, over the years, and is it in a good state at the moment, would you say? Um, it's, it goes up and down, you know, where it's all boom and bust always has been we punch above our weight you know we have a lot of really talented people and we do uh, you know i think we do as well as we can possibly do yeah i think it's not so great at the moment but uh you know it, it's always cyclical and it'll come back will we see you directing again soon uh, <laughs> you get as i get older you know the, the thought of being in mississippi up to your knees in mud is is less and less appealing but yeah no i i don't you know they say when you get this particular award you know said so next up is the memorial service oh, <laughs> so I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it's not going to be that yeah you're still bring it as bring the chicken i mean what's next for you then if there's if not a direct well no i do i write all the time you yeah. know i've done a number of screenplays that uh, that ha haven't got made you know for all the different reasons that films don't get made not every you know people don't realize that you can put as much effort into a film that doesn't get made as ones that do you know right course i know and there are so many that we, we never see never see the light of day yeah. um and i do just have to say one last thing to you which i think has been a philosophy for many of us in our lives you give a little love it all comes back to you oh, so alan parker okay. congratulations thank you that's thank very you sweet so of you much. thank you thank you that is sir alan parker talking about his bafta fellowship basically in england it's it's along the lines of the urban Thalberg, G. Thalberg Award. That's what we have here in America for uh, the Academy Awards. They no longer, you know, strangely enough, they no longer uh, give those out during the Academy Awards. They decide to do their own little off-camera thing. Um, but yeah, this this was important. This was important. I'd seen Birdie. I've seen so many of Alan Parker's films. And as I gear up to do, you know, this project where we're going to talk about film and music and how it, I mean, and then the soundtracks, you know, the soundtracks, the 60s, that's when it really started. You know, you've got everything from A Hard Day's Night. A Hard Day's Night really is poking fun at Beatlemania. And they didn't come up with the title until, or no, they had the title for the movie, but they didn't do the song yet. The song wasn't done until after the film was done. And that's how the film opens. And and then and then films change with, you know, you have The Graduate, and you have Simon and Garfunkel, who are forever associated with The Graduate, the film. You know, it opens with uh, so, um, Sounds of si uh, Silence, and then Mrs. Robinson. And so that's how really this marriage of cinema and, and music that really hadn't been done before except in musicals 
you know now when a film comes out it's like oh the soundtrack and then and then something like in the 90s with the bodyguard how the soundtrack was even bigger than the movie the movie itself you know when and and i've seen this when people watch the bodyguard yeah people are kind of stunned that what what comes out of whitney houston's mouth and then the love story and all that and the love story which is great because it's there is no mention of race but at the end of it, it's about that soundtrack and how enormous that soundtrack became. And, um, and even when she died, that's what she was remember- remembered for, was the Bodyguard soundtrack. And so w- if we bring it all the way back to, like I was just mentioning, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Whenever, whenever you talk about that, they always mention the film. So that's why I thought well, we should do this on Alan Parker. And his relationship with music and with film. And like in Midnight Express, that scene where the guy is going through customs and his heart, you can literally hear his heart pounding. And the music, the music is dark. It's menacing. It's like, oh, shit, something's going to go down. And how he could layer that in his films. And it, it goes all the way back to... One of my favorite moments in the wall is a disturbing moment is when the character is ODing and comfortably numb starts to play. And then and then when they they've got him on his feet, they're going to take him to I don't think they're taking him to the hospital. I think they're taking him to get clean and they're trying to get him in the limo. And that's when he turns into just something beyond this world and and all the while you hear Pink Floyd and you hear that uh, guitar solo by David Gilmour uncomfortably numb you know and then even even another brick in the wall another brick in the wall the way Alan Parker did it cinematically he's got all the kids in that room and they're they're going out like slaughter it's like cattle at the slaughter and they're all being made into meat they're going into the meat grinder because as the word and the and it goes right with the words you know all in all you're just another brick in the wall and then all the kids are singing it you know they're singing that chorus uh and so the imagery of the wall we we have to credit Alan Parker for that because it takes a great director to facilitate all of that and bring it to fruition and so that's the Dr. Zeus film podcast you know uh, it, it's not lost on me that next month is the four I've, I've been doing this for four years I don't phone it in I just do it when I you know I always joke and say it's like Barbara Walters remember when I first started to do this show, I wanted to do a show about women with different personalities. It's called The View. And I'd say, fuck that. When I started this show, I I don't, yeah, I did it as a form of personal therapy. Because before I wasn't really t- talking about a particular subject. And I would just talk. And I never thought, oh, okay, you could do this. And then you could have an audience. And then, yes, I have haters and I have people who like it. I know that some of the haters still listen. That's fine. Fuck them. 
Um, but it was Jason Almy of Shit Happens When You Party Naked who has, let's give him some brownie points. He has a film degree. And he was the one who said, you know, you talk about film and music all the time. You should just start rebrand your show as a film podcast, a media podcast. Because I couldn't just type, you know, type it up to, because when I rebranded it, you really have to go in and rebrand it. So, you know, Dr. Zeus film podcast. I thought, okay, now some people, well, why don't you change it to music? No. Because like I said, they all go together and I'm not rebranding it again. And I have yet to print out any stickers under the new name. And it's been almost two years since I rebranded it. But even then, in the first weeks that I started podcasting in 2018, I, I remember I was talking about The Revenant, The Revenant, which is such a bloody film. Then I was talking about I was talking about Cabaret even then and uh, Meatloaf. It's weird how times like that, you know, here we are four years later, Meatloaf is dead. I'm talking about the singer, not the food. <sighs> and so, yeah, and, and Tool, you know, um, I'm going to do a Tool show. I don't know how I'm going to do it because I can't play the music because I don't want to get taken down. But in March... It will be the 30th anniversary of Tool's first EP, Opiate. And what they've done is, if you're a Tool fan, you're going to love this. I don't even think we're fans. They, Some weird article said that people who listen to the music of Tool, it's almost like a cult. And I disagree with that. Yes, some of the stuff is expensive. You want to go see them in concert. And I, and I can tell you firsthand, but... It's worth the money. Uh, it probably, but I say I bought them early. If I had gone through Ticketmaster, it probably would have cost me four hundred, but it cost me close to six hundred dollars for two tickets. If you want up close, it's probably a couple grand. It's not Madonna money, thank God. Um, and so they have a new Blu-ray coming out called Opiate to Opiate Square. So, and then, you know, there's uh, the posters. I mean, <laughs> I had to order one of their tour books on eBay. <coughs> but, yeah. And see, and see, if, if Alan Parker were still with us, that would have been an interesting marriage if he had worked with Tool. I'm not comparing them to Pink Floyd. But there is something cinematic about the music. The same could be said about Led Zeppelin. Remember Led Zeppelin made that film. The song remains the same. Roger. Roger. Uh, I almost said Roger Daltrey. And I realized, oh no, he's not in Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, who's in Led Zeppelin? <laughs> See what happens. I'm so tired right now. Um, Robert Plant. Robert Plant, who's in Led Zeppelin. In that film, and it's cinematic, but it goes with the music, he's riding a horse. And the music's playing, and then it's going into crazy days. And that's what you can do with music. And so to applaud Sir Alan Parker for that, 
and and then even something as as silly as fame, you know. Um, I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, that song. I love Ernie and Cara. Come on. If you were a little kid in the '80s and you remember the first time you heard Fame, the theme song, or even something, and that—that's the other thing with music and film, flash dance. Oh, what a feeling! Yeah, okay. Cinematic music. See, it all goes into there, and that's how you know. Yeah, it it arrives. So. And, and we have to give Sir Alan Parker kudos because he got Madonna to sing on key for once. Come on. There was no Pro Tools involved. If, if there had been, I'm sure Andrew Lloyd Web Webber would have had a coronary. <laughs> I'd like to know what he really thought of that casting. Antonio Banderas, sure. Spaniard. Latin lover. Okay, Madonna. Oh, Lord. Well, let's hope she can hold a note. But yeah, that, that's that's what I loved about Alan Parker. It, most filmmakers they make the same film ten times. Michael Bay, I'm talking to you. And then there's filmmakers that yes, they they're known for okay, let's use these actors again. Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, huh? And then there's filmmakers like Kubrick. In fact, Alan Parker, who was in, they were doing a, a documentary about um, Stanley Kubrick. And he says, I think we were too scared of him. And he was right. And he, because, you know, Kubrick had moved over to England, and a lot of the British directors uh, rallied around Stanley Kubrick, and Alan Parker was one of them. And. You know how how really to get you know, you're gonna get your audience and pull them in with a film. So the fact that they all rallied around this American-born director who is known for pushing the envelope with *A Clockwork Orange*, *The Shining*, *Full Metal Jacket*. You know, I was I was I was watching *Birdie*. I thought I thought, whoa, this. It's always with Matthew Modine. He's he's a very underrated actor. You look at him in Birdie, and then you look at him in Full Metal Jacket, and it's like, whoa. And then uh, Nicolas Cage. You know, at one point, Nicolas Cage's real name is Nicolas Coppola, and he really changed it to Cage because he didn't want to, you know, that beautiful word called nepotism and Uncle Francis Ford Coppola. In fact, he was in one of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's films. Uh but, you know, method actor right there, as I said earlier, for Birdie, he had them take out his, two, you know, his teeth so that he could, you know, that because that character had to look like that he was hit by a bomb. You know, hopefully, thankfully, he didn't take his nose off. Um, but and then to arrive at the wall, Pink Floyd's the wall. And Roger Waters, Roger Waters is so full of shit. And he had an issue with the film because he didn't have control of it. But if you notice, the other members of Pink Floyd loved the film. The film was shocking. 40 years later, it stands the test of time. If you, I, I remember years ago watching um, Margaret Show was doing a comedy special. And she was talking about The Wall. And the audience, their reaction when she says, 
how her mother was always her mother was kind of like a helicopter mother you know she'd always hover over her and and also because her mother they were korean americans and so you know when you're a child who comes from an immigrant family that they, they want to make sure that you're being good all the time and so she talked about this she was making light of seeing the wall and she says i went and saw the wall with my mom now she was probably joking to be facetious when she said this she was like halfway through the movie someone actually passed her a joint what is this i don't smoke i don't i'm going to buy popcorn because <laughs> that's the other thing with the wall that I've talked to people about. Yeah, they would they would get stoned. They would get stoned and watch the movie because of the am- animation and the music and everything crescendoing. It's like, okay. Yeah. There there are certain films that you shouldn't do that to from personal experience. Uh you know, if you're going to take an edible or eat the cookie or the brownie, okay? But just be prepared. I, I, to this day, I refuse to go to a concert like that. First of all, I have to drive home. I don't, I don't, you know, it says, it's not, well, it says you shouldn't operate heavy machinery when you do that stuff. So don't do it. <clears throat> but when you're at home, safe in your home, and you're going to watch Pink Floyd's The Wall or Midnight Express, well, or even Birdie, like I said last night, I, I watched the movie and then I ended up some of it ended up in my dream I thought oh how strange but those are the kind of films where it's like oh shit we, we've arrived so that's the Dr. Zeus film podcast and um, it's 11-11 make a wish and happy belated birthday Alan Parker wherever you are and thank you for really bringing oh, with a capital B bringing the fucking music to the film and to making it worthwhile. I mean, those images, whether it's Pink Floyd in the wall, the dancers in fame, the, the pounding of uh, Midnight Express, because you don't know what's going down in Midnight Express. It's going to cut you. To... Uh, Madonna actually singing for a cha- change in Evita. The Life of David Gale. Life of David Gale, that's a tough film to watch. In fact, strangely, that was his last film. In that interview that I played, I don't think he ever thought he was going to, you know, not make a film again. It's sad. It's sad. So, unpleasant dreams.